Hey, Jeb. Oh, hey, John. Do you want to talk about Toy Story? Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. But, like, talk about it a lot. Going in detail with each given minute in Toy Story? Yeah, but can we talk about why Woody has teeth even though he wasn't made with them? I don't see why not. Only if we can talk about the importance of plastic corrosion awareness. Only if we can talk about how Sid is not really a bad kid. Let me ask you this, though. Can we talk about strong lesbian moms? Can we talk about using the sad song from Toy Story 2 as a test to see if people are a robot? I like that idea. So, come listen to us talk about Toy Story five times a week on Toy Story Minute. Find it on Dueling Genre or your podcast app of choice. If you listen, you'll be my favorite deputy. You got a friend in us? Both of us, yeah. Nice. Dueling Genre Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man one hungover from your murder blackout minute at a time. I'm <laughs> Zach Luna. <laughs> I'm Scott Corelli. And I am Crystal Beth. <laughs> Welcome Hi. back, Crystal. Oh, yeah. thank you for having me. Of Happy course. to. Uh, today, we're talking about Minute 22, which uh, starts with uh, Harry Osborn running in to find his father and ends with Peter Parker just just chowing down on some french fries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he really commits to it. Like like we were talking about last week, I really love when people actually eat the food. He he commits. Yeah, uh, which is real nice. Yeah, I don't um, like it when people fake eat. Exactly. Although yeah. although eating one <laughs> french fry per take is a pretty easy going. Pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like it's I It's not I, like in the social network, there's that scene Ar- Army Hammer talks about. There's one scene where he's like eating burgers after rowing practice or something as one of the Winklevoss twins. And mm-hmm. he has this enormous burger that he eats like half of in the scene. And like that David Fincher kept being like, yeah, no, like really chow down on it. Great, great, great. But it was David Fincher. So they did like 20 takes. <laughs> and he was like throwing up by the end of it because the restaurant had to keep bringing all these burgers. Yeah, whatever. Uh, terrible <laughs> the beginning of this minute is about norman osborne right mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> we've got uh their palatial estate there um i i like the uh there's a couple of things about this uh, about this scene so like one i like that you know norman he did that stuff last night this is now after school right or is it before school it's before I school before, before school Okay, yeah. so he's leaving in the so, morning. Yeah. So Harry's leaving for school and sees his dad. Okay. Yeah. I but well but I do like I like that Harry's wearing all green. Um Yeah. Because yeah. you know, foreshadowing, I guess. I don't yes. know. <laughs> uh so I, I like that. And it's also I find um I find Norman's study interesting because it's a it's a set that you know, we get a lot more of later. Yeah. 
But it's also interesting because it becomes so much more important in the second movie. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's set up differently uh, in the second movie. I don't remember all the masks being in the second movie. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, this is literally just a room for him to like, hang out in a chair and like read by the fire. <laughs> I want uh, that. Cause it's not as, it's not his office. No. Um, no. Cause at first glance it's like, Oh, that's like a, that's like a, like his desk, but it's got those masks all over it. So it's obviously just a table to hold the <laughs> tribal masks that he right. has. Um, as is every other piece of furniture in that room is a right. surface for tribal masks. <laughs> right. Or yeah. it's yeah. a chair for sitting on with your tribal mask on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which this whole tribal backs. this whole tribal mask motif is a holdover from when the mask, the green goblin mask was going to be one of these tribal masks. Yeah. Just like um, a separate wooden like mask that he put on or something like that. Right. Yeah. I didn't know uh, that. That's they, crazy. Yeah, which they abandoned but kept the motif for some reason. Um, well, it looks yeah. good. I I like it. It just shows that he has an affinity for something that you can hide yourself behind. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it, I think it's, it's specifically that, that all of the masks are demons. And so it, it yeah. is sort of like him, like collecting these masks and he's got an inner demon and then he's collecting these masks of like demon faces. And yeah, I, I uh, feel like there's something going on there too. Yeah, the, the the thematic stuff with the mask, I think if if you are going to end up in a version of Spider-Man and the Green Goblin where we have like this high-tech gadgetry type outfit Green Goblin thing versus the sort of more traditional like putting on a mask version of, of Spider-Man, that, that approach might take away some of the thematic weight of we each put on a mask and we're each, you know, uh, this other character. So to lean sort of the Norman Osborn side of the character more towards that fascination with the, you know, the, the, the myth making of mask wearing type of, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you, what you call it. Like, like sort of makes up for that a little bit, you know, that like you can, if you, if you want to pick apart the philosophy of the film, uh, that you have more ground to stand on in that, in that way. Cause the, the mask that Peter wears tracks fairly well with like the green goblin halloween type mask that norman wears in the comics but it's a little less easy to do the um that sort of reversal with the simple cloth versus the high-tech whatever helmet thing but so that you have at least this sort of establishing obsession on the norman osborne side and it it is just creepy to have like a whole bunch of you know weird masks which i believe they got from like actual art dealers around new york like the like all the production Mm -hmm. like actually went and sought out actual pieces on loan from museums and things like that, that were all these various tribal masks and carved things. And they're just like, just get us the scariest ones with like all of the <laughs> <laughs> ones with like teeth and like we want big the eyes. Scary one. They're like, what about this one? You're like, not scary enough. Not scary yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Show me your scary. They one. also, all of the tribal masks, they remind me of, do you guys remember? Um, and, and maybe this is dating myself. I don't know, but there uh-huh. is this, there was this thing called like my pet monster do you guys uh, remember my pet monster was I, he was like a, a a purple thing right is that like remembering purple this or right? green and he's yeah. like purple was green and blue movie? and yellow well that's I think it thing. started as a toy right yeah, yeah. it was a to- it was a toy it was a was doll the, the uh yeah he, he was blue yeah blue purple face yes. green nose i remember red hair. him 
little yeah. yellow horns. Um, and so he started off with as like a doll, and then they made a movie uh, <laughs> that it was it was in like '86, I think. Uh-huh. And what happened was that this kid is turned into my pet monster. Oh God! Because he gets hypnotized by a tribal mask at a museum exhibit. Oh, okay. Sure. I, yeah. I saw the movie before I knew what the uh, toy was. Okay, right. so you remember the movie. I remember the movie, yes. Right. Yeah, and so all of these tribal masks remind me of the My Pet Monster tribal mask. I dig it, yeah. From the movie. From, from so the movie. the 80s had some freaky movies. Yeah. If you were going to make, wait, if you're going to make a My Pet Monster movie about a toy that's called My Pet Monster yeah. and is like a cute toy monster, mm-hmm. would not the film you make be about <laughs> Somebody who has a pet monster. I mean, wouldn't that make more se- more sense? You would, you like, would think so, but but I have you would think so, but I have one word for you. Oh uh, yeah, uh huh. Cocaine. Oh yes. Oh my yeah, gosh, right. my favorite my word. <laughs> it no was word the '80s, the and there was a lot of cocaine. Uh, <laughs> just. That like that just yeah, seems like it, such it, a fundamental misread of your product, right? No, it was basically like there was like an evil history. It was it was actually not unlike the Buffy episode with the hyenas. It was kind oh of like gosh. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like that. But yeah, the the guy the kid who turns into the my pet monster, it, he like turns into it, and it's like a he's like a superhero. He like becomes like a superhero. Okay. Because yeah. he like saves things and then he like stops the evil archaeologist guy. Because I'm sure he's like what stronger than normal and he can like eat things that other people can't eat. I don't know right. what being a monster does. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. something, yeah. something yeah. like that. And then, but the <clears throat> but the old guy was mad, like the archaeologist, because he wanted to be the my pet monster. But this kid <laughs> became the my pet monster, so he's trying to steal the my pet monster spirit out of the kid. So that he could become it. It's a yeah. lot like that hyena episode. I'll right, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the pack. Uh, yeah, the season, pack. Right. Season one or two. I want to say. One. Uh, but yeah, definitely yeah, one. Season one. The pack. Go watch it. It's fun. Um, or there's also like I feel like there's also a like a tribal mask that Joyce brings from an art gallery that oh, yeah. like, turns a bunch of people into zombies. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah that's uh, that season beginning that's, of season right three. three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beginning of season three. I want to say. Right. Because um, you know, everybody, masks. everybody is mad and weird at her because she left town. Right. So yeah. That's right. season yeah. three. I love. But they don't Buffy. talk to each other. This is, yeah. I love that yeah. we're talking about this right now. Buffy. Okay. <laughs> a. It's like the one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Fine. But B. One of the best superhero shows uh, ever made. Fine. But mm-hmm. C. Like growing up, I didn't. I didn't watch Buffy early enough. But when I eventually got to watching Buffy, the thing that struck me like tonally in the core of it, I was like, oh, this is the greatest Spider-Man TV show I've ever seen. <laughs> that, that I had no idea this was... Because it was, you know, that, like, the the core functionality of the character was so similar and relatable in terms of, like, you know, being a high schooler, have to save the world, having your superpowers is screwing things up, you mm-hmm. know, nobody else can know that I'm that, and that you might, like, build your, like, core little family of people that do know you're the super... That the, right. the drama inherent is very much Spider-Man. And, like, totally. nobody was going to give me a serialized spider-man tv show but buffy like served that scratch that itch and more it it's 
of the same like zone in my brain that gets excited about you know peter getting his hand stuck to the thing is like that same part of my mind that like wants to you know like carve a bunch of wooden stakes to like prepare you know like when i get excited about like oh there's a costume contest we could go as a buffy like that that i get that same sort of like childlike joy and enthusiasm from both of those properties so you know oh, yeah. if you haven't seen buffy watch buffy it's amazing uh uh-huh. it's also like it's one of those like uh watershed moments like as a as a reference point that like almost every superhero media since then owes a little bit of a debt to buffy the vampire slayer Mm-hmm. stepping off that soapbox for now uh <laughs> it's pretty great i am i feel very fortunate to have had buffy in my formative years it was oh, awesome to have a girl on just kicking a bunch of butt and stuff and i used to copy her hairstyles and i tried to dress like her i did not pull <laughs> yeah. it off ever but you know the styles have looped back around that sort of like mid '90s stuff is like kind of hip. So you can like you could try them now probably and like yeah. maybe see. Oh, <laughs> like, I could, but I would probably still look just as ridiculous. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> My style is uh, no style. Let's wear a graphic tee. I love it. Yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, I'm actually. Um, think... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so well, well, I was I, you know I I love talking about Buffy, but we need to get back to Spider Man. I feel like it's true. It's true. Um, so, uh, so, so, okay. So getting, getting back to the, to the minute, um, <laughs> I, I love the fact that the goblin redressed Norman and dropped him off at home. <laughs> yeah. It's a sweetheart. He was yeah. like, I got to make sure this is all on the up and up. Yeah. I like, uh, whenever this like golem Smeagol thing develops, he's like, Oh, Oh, I'll have, I'll have to make an entrance later. Like, let's just let him, you know, like, Get everything back in order. Lay down on the ground. He'll have no idea. I can't wait to talk to him later. Bye. <laughs> you, can't, you can't damage the yeah. body that's uh, carrying him around. You know he's got to. He's very smart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I just. I mean, he even put the tie back on him. Like, it's so <laughs> yeah. good. I love that. Or is um, it? Maybe the suit is like Tony Starkian in that, like, you can put it on and, like, magically none of your clothes underneath wrinkle or, like, have any issues or, yeah. like, <laughs> like, mess with anything. Well, because um, I don't think he, I don't think he put on the flight suit. I think. He just took him. Yeah. yeah he just took him. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I like how this scene plays out because he remembers the experiment but he doesn't remember anything after the experiment right right and so when these things are happening he's like how did i get here and then the lady runs inside and says that dr strom is dead and the flight suit and glider are gone yeah and he's like did i do that but like he doesn't know so he can't say for sure he's just what is happening like why don't i remember anything this is weird um and i can't imagine that the side effects aren't crossing his mind that Dr. Strom were, were right. warned him about. Yeah. Uh, that, the insanity. The, the one, and, yeah. yeah. Aggression, oh violence, and insanity. I right. Think were the three that they said. Yeah. And it, it's like, like we said in the first uh, Goblin sequence, uh, I, I, I love this sort of like audience insertion moment where we're, we're sort of, we're going to empathize a lot more with Norman in this sort of structure where he doesn't know what he's done and he's still not like cackling Lex Luthor version of Norman Osborn mm-hmm. uh, comics wise that he is, you know, genuinely concerned and surprised at, you know, to hear, to hear of Dr. Strom's death. I, I, I like that we, we don't have a cackling maniac bad guy 
mm-hmm. this early on. I like that we, you know, there's a lot of, I feel a lot of empathy for Norm in this situation. Not that I, you know, like waking up confused and not knowing what's going on and being told of a tragedy. Like that is, you know, whether or not he is, he's not aware he's done it yet. So that's just a, a vulnerable place to be in. And I, I sort of knee jerk, like slide into whenever somebody's vulnerable, like I start to empathize way, way more. Well, that's one thing yeah. with just the entire way Willem Dafoe played this character. There was never once yeah. in this movie that I hated him. Like I could hate some villains. Mm-hmm. Sure. And especially yeah. towards the end, I'm not going to say anything, but it's sure. just <laughs> uh, the way he created the character for himself, the way that he gave yeah. the Green Goblin the backstory that he wanted. There was a, such a real tortured side of him that showed whenever anything was happening. And I loved that because there's not many supervillains that can do that. Actors yeah. will play the character horribly, but... It's different. Like everyone's got yeah. a story and he has a story and I think he did a, such a good job with that. And here you can see it. You can feel yeah. the anger and uh, frustration behind him. And you, but you can see that he's, I can kind of, obviously with that scary cut, it's one of the scariest mm-hmm. cuts of any movie when it's just like, <laughs> in the middle. Oh, this, uh, the yeah. little evil dead like splice in. Uh, that they have. Yeah. Scares <laughs> me yeah. With the dead eyes. Every time. <laughs> But uh, like- <laughs> you can feel it. You can feel him start to get worried. Like his tonal, his tone changes when yeah. he's like, wait, he's dead. And he's like, wait, wait, who took the, who took the mask? It went from like, yeah. someone's dead to what? Which yeah. was a little more evil than the first one, but it was so subtle. It was just a drop down with the voice. Ah, I love it. No. Yeah. I, I say it every week on here. He's a great actor. Just a yeah. great, <laughs> just a great, like, you just watch some movies and you're just like, oh yeah, I need to up my game. I definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just we're we're so we're we're we are very blessed that the at the time because no one knew how good superhero like how well superhero movies would do at the box office. Right. That we lived in a world where studios didn't feel like wasting their you know, what they considered their A list on superhero movies. So they would hire out of the B list and sort of lesser known like character actors. And then that's how we get, you know, somebody like Willem Dafoe as this character. Yeah. We're we're, uh, we're lucky that all the factors aligned the way that they did. Cause it's so hard, you know, like any, any performance, uh, you know, you're going to try to make it as, as round and complete of a character as you can, but that, we're we're lucky they had enough enough time and the right you know mix of people to uh, create that um, everybody being on the same page type of feeling in terms of storytelling that that we mentioned before. Uh, but that like if you're going to change a character from the comics and and this is not the Norman from the comics. This is right. a a a version of Norman that is more successful for this type of story, and that right. that can be a like scary worrying place to be in if like you don't quite know where everybody's at but that we're lucky that there was enough care taken that everything is functional every every character relationship in this movie is functional for the most part you know it's not Mm -hmm. like it's a perfect film but it is a very very good one uh in terms of the things that people are going to connect to and more than anything people connect to characters and the and the relationships and so like this actor with this version of the character is just it's great. It it helps the movie work in general. Um, 
and this it's already like we're getting that momentum going here because uh, right. we're on the other side of uh, of those inciting uh developments those uh those, <laughs> those origin yeah i agree uh, with dual origin stories are the, kicking up the yeah. best way to uh, tell a story as long yeah. as your sto- your characters are great, you almost don't need writing anymore. Once your characters are fleshed out, <laughs> you know what they're going to do. It almost writes yeah. itself. And I think I've given this example on uh, Back to the Future Minute, where mm-hmm. th- when the characters are thought out, it's like uh, Modern Family. They almost don't mm-hmm. need writers anymore because the actors know their characters so well that you just put them in a room together and you're going to know how they act. And right, sure. there is some... Yeah. Uh, TV shows that follow plot so much that you forget who's in them and you forget whose name and then it gets kind of <laughs> convoluted because you're like wait who is that guy? oh right that guy's that guy's brother but if the characters sure. are good and like exactly like you said if their relationships yeah. feel real which all of them do in this movie it makes it a lot easier to watch yeah yeah or and, and it'll let you skate past things that like maybe aren't quite as narratively functional as other bits like I will I'll follow a character I care about, you know, over rough patches much more readily than I'll forgive rough patches in a movie where I don't really like the characters at all. Because mm-hmm. you know? they're, they're people that matter to you at that point. Right. Um, and Norman, even though he's the villain of the, of the piece, is somebody I care about and empathize with at this, at this moment. And well, and that's, and that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's a generally, that was sort of, it seems like one of Sam's goals with yeah. the Spider-Man movies was to uh, force us to empathize with all of the villains because he didn't just oh, yeah. want, you know, some, some like cackling crazy person. Like he, he wanted yeah. you to, cause, cause here it's like, well, you can't do the green goblin as anything, yeah. but a cackling crazy a cackling person, crazy person. Right. Yeah. He's like, but, but yeah. what you can do is make the cackling crazy person, the Mr. Hyde to, Norman Osborn's Dr. Jekyll and then then suddenly he's empathetic and you know and they do the similar things with uh you know with every villain in the other movies I mean they do a similar thing with Otto they do a similar thing with uh Sandman and even to a certain extent Venom yeah Um, yeah so like that's always that's always his goal I think with these movies and I think it's definitely the way to go especially considering that these, as we've discussed a bunch of times, like these movies had no interest in setting up a universe. These yeah. were like the Tim Burton Batman movies where it was like, you are seeing the one time that Spider-Man fought this in villain. A movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the one time that they're going to fight. He's going to, the Batman's going to fight the Joker. So at the end, the Joker's going to die. And this is the only time he's going to fight the Penguin. So at the end of the movie, the Penguin's going to die. And so, (laughs) so, you know, that's, that was one of the weird things about these movies is like, that's, and was something when I was younger, always annoyed me about them because I was just like, but they're supposed to just keep going. And then Sinister Six, how are you ever going to do the Sinister Six if you keep killing them all off? But (laughs) that wasn't, that wasn't something that was even considered because it's right. You know, that super type rural. of long form, right. you know, like blockbuster filmmaking is so insanely expensive that you sort of already have to have the cultural for culture for it in place right. before anybody would risk doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that like at this point, it's like, oh, you we're making a big movie. Tell the the fullest, complete story you can right. in this 
complete movie that we're sitting, the audience will be there for those two hours, make a Spider-Man movie. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of the changes they made were smart in reference to how do you present a, a type of storytelling that is mostly serialized and, and, and broken up into a bunch of little episodes, like a soap opera, you know, type of uh, a beat structure. How do we turn that into a movie? Well, we'll ad- adjust the relationships and adjust the conflicts to place them in uh, this sort of smaller bombastic context. You know, I, I they they didn't have the long game in mind. They just wanted to make this one movie be a satisfying movie, and I, I mm-hmm. think it's very successful in that in that way. And no one yeah. does that anymore. It's right. awful. <laughs> yeah, and I think I've talked yeah. about this on every podcast I've ever been on frustrates sure. me that people can't just make a movie that ends they feel like right, they need sure. to yeah. continue out and it and I, I i i feel like a broken record because i literally sure. say it all the time if you have good characters you've got to be able to trust that your characters can follow through different storylines right yeah. that's what right. I, I think Absolutely. that's what the force awakens did they made characters that were super interested in and now they can do whatever they want with it. I'm not watching it. I mean, right. granted, it's a Star Wars movie. That's why I'm going to watch it. Yeah. But that yeah. was one of the first movies recently that actually did that. And the example yeah. I give all the time is Warcraft. And Warcraft, mm. they didn't trust that their characters were interesting enough because they didn't write them interesting enough that they had to leave sure. a bunch of open endings. So instead of the yeah. movie ending right. and being one movie... It's got a bunch of it, all the water is running out of it because there's nothing stopping it, and it's, mm-hmm. it's right. a shame. Mm-hmm. But this and movie doesn't it, do it, that. like to my to some that that thing I mentioned earlier that like um, because I liked the characters in Force Awakens so much, I'm I'm very willing to move past a lot of you know uh, inconsistencies and in like like plot threads that are dropped here and there in that movie just to like skate along in the feeling of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like that's that like. Um, it's not that those sort of approaches are beyond criticism. Like I think there's a lot of valid points to make about like some things that aren't as successful in the, in the force awakens or like some things that are like amazing in Warcraft in terms of like production design in terms of like, you know, their approach to world building, but that like, what, what are you going to prioritize when you're sitting there in the movie theater is, is a conversation that has to be addressed early on. And I, and I think that people are much more willing to buy into lapses in structure or lapses in um set up payoff if we're if those relationships are developed uh in a in a way that we care about and so like it's it's hard to make a perfect movie and almost nobody makes a perfect movie and you want to try to make the best movie you can where do you focus your time what is what is worth spending time on and focusing on and for me this this is like that that whole conversation in a, in a nutshell is care, let me care about the characters and i'll forgive a lot Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> like, like I, I know a lot of people who get frustrated with like the force awakens as, as opposed to something like, uh, rogue mm-hmm. one or at least, but at least in both of those movies, I, I love the characters mm-hmm. and I'll, I'm happy mm-hmm. to be in the world. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so I think we're yeah. burying the lead a little bit, um, sure. because we need to talk about quite possibly the greatest character in all three of these <laughs> Spider-Man movies, uh, which is the character of Bernard Houseman. Bernard Houseman. The He's butler. Just... The butler's name is Houseman. His name is Houseman. Oh, they got real creative. Oh, uh, it's so good. So so this is Bernard Houseman, and he's played by John Paxton, which is, of course, Bill Paxton's father. And he sort of became uh, a good luck charm 
for Sam Raimi because he right. was in uh, he was in a simple plan and yes. and then these three Spider-Man movies drag me to hell and Oz the Great and the Powerful. Yeah. But he only has like 16 credits um, yeah. total and he died in 2011. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, what's great about uh, <laughs> John Paxton. I, I love this is, you know, not to make things sound a little too sad, but you know, the, the late Bill Paxton, um, amazing guy. And um, in terms of podcast discussions uh, right before his death, like a couple of weeks before his death, Bill Paxton did an interview on Mark Maron's WTF. Yeah. Where he talked a lot about his upbringing and you know getting into it's an amazing interview if you just go listen to it he was a a, a hell of a guy but he talks a little bit about his dad and John Paxton for most of his life just had like a, a lumber company like in right. in in Texas or something I want to say like he he just worked you know you know as a a man who provided like wood and wood materials and he was a very salt of the earth type of dude. And he he worked in that his his whole whole life, and then got to retirement age, and like at the point where a lot of people would retire, he like called up Bill Paxton one day and was just like, "Yeah, I, uh, I'm just thinking about getting into your business, like uh, your industry. <laughs> what, what do you think about that?" And Bill's like, "What? Like acting?" He's like, "Yeah, why not?" And like just took up acting <laughs> as a as like a hobby when in his like twilight years because he didn't want to be like bored around the house doing nothing as a retiree, he wanted to be working all the time. So right. he just decided to become a film actor and was like basically pretty immediately successful at it. Which yeah. is just so funny. Uh, just yeah. lovely. Yeah. Him this and, is, uh, this is one of uh, his only <laughs> scenes in this movie. Um, yeah. But then he has a bigger role in the sequels as like, this a like weird uh, pseudo type. father figure, yeah, for for Harry, and it's really it's really strange. But I, it's one of those strange decisions that I just I love to pieces. It's what makes these movies these movies <laughs> to me oh, like, so good. Uh, yeah, what about Houseman? Yeah, there's yeah. Bernard Houseman. Bernard Houseman. Yeah, I don't even know if he was officially called Bernard. I can't wait to like check the credits on this one because like at maybe least not, IMDb, maybe not in this yeah. one. He is in the yeah. sequels. Yeah, um, called Bernard directly, but right. like just in the credits, like at least on IMDb, he's just Houseman. Houseman, like, yeah. <laughs> like Houseman. I look that up. Who's Houseman? Like, um, <laughs> well, I guess later this week we'll talk about one of Flash's buddies. Like, I remember early on we were wondering, like, yeah, who is that actor that plays Flash's buddy? I'll go look him up, and I. I found him eventually, uh, and he's just credited as Flash's crony. Like he doesn't mm. have a name. Jason Padgett just is called Flash's crony in the in the credits, which is beautiful <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> yeah, you know uh, the guy. He was in the movie. He was like the crony to that guy, Flash. Yeah, you know, he, like backed him up. Oh yeah, Flash's crony. Great. What should yeah. we call him? Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just call him Flash's crony. I thought we already decided uh, Flash's crony. Yeah. Um, oh, that that conversation got it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that's all I have for this minute. Crystal, do you have anything else? I do not. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Minute twenty-two. Well, cool. Other than yeah, we love him eating fries at the end. That's oh right, right, right. <laughs> oh yeah, and we do it. get. Yeah. I think we get our first uh, shot of anything related to the Daily Bugle because we get the Daily oh, really? Bugle delivery truck. Yes. Oh, that's we right. Do. That's right. I was also trying Just... to find where the location is for this school. The out, yeah. outside of yeah. it, not Midtown the inside. The inside is sure. in LA, but I yeah. right. I could not find it, and I was like, I want to know where that is in relation to the other places. 
<laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, we got to keep our game. Probably maybe gotta in the triangulate. Yeah, trying. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days we'll have to like maybe in the listener group or something like devise a <laughs> locations around New York type of walk you can go on. But. I would love I would love nothing more than to find out that the bus stop is an hour and a half away from the house and the school is like 15 minutes away from the house. <laughs> <laughs> that it almost, would be it awesome. almost has to be closer, right? Like yeah. it has to be. Uh, I would love that. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Get, well, get uh, yeah. <laughs> we will be back tomorrow with minute twenty three. In the meantime, yes. go uh, check out uh, Crystal's other podcasts. Where 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 can they find you, Crystal? You can find me on my two podcasts. Uh, one of them is a movies by minute podcast called The Fifth Element. No, that's the movie. The Fifth Element is the name of the podcast. <laughs> and I also have a video game podcast called Unlimited Lives Radio. Both of those are on iTunes. And you can follow me nice. on social media at the Crystal Beth. Grateful. And yeah. uh, go check out the other podcasts that we have at DuelingGenre.com as well, including uh, Back to the Future Minute, which Crystal has guested on all three seasons of. Yay. Uh, so yeah. go, go check that out um, and uh, everything else we got over there. And we will talk to you tomorrow with Minute 23. Bye. Bye. Bye.